You're a swimmer, a cyclist, a runner. You're a triathlete. You're a conqueror of the multi-sport mentality. You seek greatness in your everyday life. But as an age grouper, your forte is the physical fitness that you strive for. Endurance is your middle name. You're listening to the Age Grouper for Life podcast, the ultimate source for living the triathlon lifestyle. Colin and Elliot will discuss the most optimal training techniques to get you where you want to be mentally and physically so you're ready to bring it. You can do it. Ready to bring it? Welcoming your host, Peak Triathlon and USAT certified coaches, Colin Cook and Elliot Kawaoka. Hey everybody, how's it going? Colin Cook here, joined by... Elliot Kawaoka. And we are uh, doing episode number six here. So uh, today we're going to have Leslie Y on the show. She is a dietitian slash nutritionist, and we're going to talk about uh, nutrition and some general health stuff uh, for a little while here. Um, But first... We have to talk to Elliot here about Ironman Canada, which he raced in uh, just a couple days ago. Yep. So uh, he finished. So congratulations, Elliot. What, what, what Ironman number was that? Number nine. Number nine. Almost number getting nine. So double digits coming soon, hopefully. Yep. Trying to uh, catch up with you. You're <laughs> at, uh, what, 11? I'm at 11 right now, yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, and I'm not sure how many more uh, in the short term there'll be, but uh, anyways, um, so yeah, let's hear about it, man. Yeah, so I mean, that place, and you've been there too, I mean, it's... Which is where, uh, sorry, we didn't say, we just said you didn't know, man, but... yeah, uh, Whistler, uh, Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, that place is just amazing i mean it's a great place to bring the family a great place to hang out and i mean there's so many other activities to do besides racing yeah i mean you kind of get carried away before the race you're like there's so much stuff i want to do like zip lining going up to the to the top of the mountain yeah and everything it's got uh for anybody that's been to mount tremblant it has a very similar feel to that where you've got like a village and all the hotels and stuff are all and the condos are all pretty much stacked on top of it right there so everything's within walking distance and i was there a couple years ago for the race and like you'd literally go out during the day and you'd see you know groups of uh like five to seven year olds out for mountain bike lessons and stuff like that it was just like a really active environment had some cool bmx uh dirt jumping things and yep. uh, you see bears and everything um which i guess there was uh th- i did read something about uh, a couple people got slowed down by the bears during the yeah. race huh? i think they had to like take a, a go off go off course a little bit because they didn't want them to run by the bears so <laughs> it was luckily that wasn't me i didn't see any bears when i was over there this year you didn't okay yeah no yeah. I only saw them early morning when I was out doing training before the race, but um, it was cool. So, uh, yeah, fantastic venue. Um, yep. So, awesome. So, that, and that was your third time, correct, doing this this race, right? Yep. So, I was two for two on qualifying for Kona over there, and I thought the third time was going to be a... Third time's a charm, right? A shoo-in, yeah. <laughs> 
But, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll talk about it a little bit. But So all these Ironmans these days are 40 slots, and, I mean, I'm not complaining about it at all because I, I do realize there's more races. But, I mean, it's coming to the point where you you have to be on your A-plus game. And if you, if you falter at all, you people are going to catch you and you're not going to get your slot anymore. Yeah. And I feel like in previous years, I mean, you could get by with a few mistakes, a mediocre and, day. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you have, you have a uh, one or two fast people in your age group show up and I mean, and there's three slots in your age group. It's, I mean, you're out of luck if you're, if you're fourth place, which I mean, I've missed my slot. Like, by one or two slots every time now so yeah. it's it's kind of painful so you end up six in your age group correct yep i did yeah so still obviously not a bad performance but uh <laughs> yeah disappointing in a way that uh didn't get you a slot um but yeah um certainly a, a topic and no doubt uh i've seen some clients actually I had a client race in lake placid uh, he took fourth in his age group, 25 to 29. There only ended up being two slots in his age group. Um, yep. So even though he qualified last year with a 15-minute slower time um, than this year, you know, he didn't get a slot this year, which is too bad. But, uh, um, you know, again, it all comes back to racing yourself and doing your best. And in this case, I think you're a little bit disappointed with uh, with your performance, so that's a little bit different. But, um, right. you know. But uh, so let's let's hear a little bit more about your day. So yeah, the weather turned out perfect. I mean, uh, leading up to the race, I was a little nervous because we're coming from hundred degree temperatures in Phoenix, and I mean the, the temps were in the fifties, and I mean that's <laughs> you East Coast people are probably gonna laugh, but that's really cold for me, and I'd probably like get hypothermia or had your long johns on and uh, (laughs) arm warmers and gloves and (laughs) i mean i brought all my cold weather gear and i was prepared to wear it but i didn't even touch it this trip so that's good (laughs) cool well but yeah i I mean the weather turned out perfect i mean it was blue skies winds weren't that bad so i mean i knew it was going to be a pretty good day as, uh, as far as the weather goes so nice and uh, I know certainly something I was extremely impressed with was your swim. Looks like yep. you, you had a really good swim. Let's hear about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've told you before I'm not a big fan of those rolling starts, but I, I really feel like it it'll, it puts really good swimmers up front. So, you know, if you hang on to their feet, you're in good company. So, I mean, both in um, Ironman Arizona and Canada, that's kind of been – my goal is just hang on to some fast feet and not just kind of rely on them, not really sight much and just mm. get into a good rhythm. And both times, I mean, I've been under an hour. And, I mean, it took me five years to even get close to being under an hour. So I was very pleased with my swim. Yeah. Something I'm still waiting to crack here. Uh, yeah. I think I, I think I was under 59 minutes at this swim. You were. Yeah, yeah, 58-something, which is yeah. uh, very impressive. So well done there. And that was a uh, wetsuit legal, though, race, though, right? Yep, yep. yep. wetsuit legal. Water temps were in the mid-60s, so it was pretty perfect conditions. <laughs> cool. Uh, awesome. So, all right, so you must have been feeling good heading out of the water. Yep. Yeah, I was 
amazed, like, just seeing all the bikes still racked. And, I mean, I haven't always been the best swimmer. And, I mean, you, I've been in positions where, I mean, half the bikes are gone. And it's it's nice to see, like, wow, most bikes are still racked. I'm in the front of the race. And so I, I went off on the bike. I mean, I, I felt like I biked pretty much the entire course pretty conservatively. And um, one thing that's kind of a pain is we, we, we were given these uh, triathlon kits, these one-piece kits, and they're really nice. They're sleeved, and they're pretty aerodynamic, but they have no pockets on them. And carrying nutrition is just such a pain, and I had to think about it so much. Like you, I had to stuff it down my chest or shut stuff food down my back and it's it was just a pain and it's just another yeah. thing to think about where if I had pockets it would would have been a lot easier so I think for my next Ironman race I'll definitely wear a kit that that's more comfortable on me and that has pockets <laughs> so was that an issue on the bike and run or just uh... um so on the bike I carried a fanny pack with me one of those amphipod um okay yeah like yeah, fanny pack things, and um, just stuffed all my gel in there, and I mean, so, I mean, in a way, it was kind of like a pocket, but it was just a pain, like, just reaching back and unzipping it and getting out the gel, and it's, it was just, like I said, it would have been easier if I had pockets, so. Do you have a bento box on your bike? I do. So you use, but, put so some I mean, stuff I, in there? I put some, yeah, I put some solid foods in there, okay. um, in my salt tabs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can't carry that much stuff. And I mean, I, I try to do my best to eat all my, I mean, bring all my food on the bike rather than relying on the course nutrition. Cool. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. We'll ask Leslie about that a little bit. Yep. Um, but, um, cool all right so let's hear about the bike so yeah um climbing i mean i kept my power right where i needed to be um i really did feel strong the entire thing but one thing that i really really messed up on that i'm pretty sure leslie and i will talk about is not drinking enough on the bike i mean i felt comfortable um never really felt dehydrated but knew like towards the later miles as it did warm up, um, I think it reached 80 degrees, which is still pretty warm and you are sweating. Um, I just, I didn't drink enough. And looking back, I mean, I had four bottles throughout the entire bike, which is a big no, no. I know that. So, um, and your bike's really got to work on that. It's 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 kind of weird because you train in Arizona and you're so used to just drinking a ton because you you can feel yourself sweating. And when you're racing in, when I was racing in Canada, the weather was a lot cooler, and you're like, oh, I'm not sweating. I don't need to drink as much. And you, I I don't know. I just tend to forget because mm-hmm. you don't really feel like you need to drink as much. But um, I think I definitely learned my lesson that day that really need to stay on top of my uh fluids i mean as far as like my calorie intake i think i was fine but um looking back i just i I know i didn't drink enough because i just felt it on the run where at the beginning of the run where you start the run and you're like you're 
praying for the next aid station to come because you're thirsty and you, you don't want to be at that point yeah. at mile at, at 5k into the run yeah so what was your bike split um it was Roughly. five five twenty two okay solid so, but yeah i mean, I mean yeah comparing to the top guys my age group i mean they're 510 515 i mean low fives yeah so and i mean i felt like i biked pretty conservatively and i mean i know the time gaps are pretty big um yeah i mean that's a tough course but i mean yeah going back to nutrition you know so that's obviously that's only a bottle like every not even there like every hour and 20 or something huh um yeah I mean, so obviously you're a smaller guy than me, but for other people, just consideration. Normally, I'm drinking at least 48 ounces per hour, which is like two bottles. Oh, uh, and I do I do the same thing in Arizona. So yeah. I mean, I I will not make that mistake again, and that's yeah. kind of why I'm upset with myself. Is I don't think it had to do with my um, fitness. fitness. Yeah. It all came down to nutrition, which I usually nail down in races, but um, it's just kind of demoralizing when it comes down to nutrition and yeah. it's something i could have easily fixed so i'm it kind of sparked my fire into racing again i mean probably won't be racing anytime might be racing sometime soon but uh i'm very eager to race again because i know yeah. i can do better yeah all right um sorry right. see so you got off the bike um and uh feeling you were feeling decent though still coming off the bike right yeah so my uncle uh was there and uh my cousin claire um you met them last time you were yeah, in canada yeah, yeah. and uh they were there just to give me some splits and my uncle said you're 20 minutes down on third place and i knew um i knew there would only be three slots in my age group yeah uh, so i i took the risk and i really didn't go out insanely fast but um i mean i was clipping away at what 645 to 655 miles because i i knew i needed to be low three yeah. I, I i knew i needed a, a a low three hour marathon run so um but yeah i mean I, I mean i felt good through what five miles and then i mean i i held together through the halfway point and then that's when the wheels kind of fell off and um it's just not a good feeling when that happens when your mindset kind of shifts from oh this is a race i'm gonna catch everyone to oh crap i'm just gonna i i'm surviving right now and yeah it's not a good feeling right yeah. i mean you can you expect that feeling maybe really late in the run but not halfway through the run yeah, it's usually not a good indicator, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if you're talking about a standalone uh, marathon, right, I think there's the analogy, you know, if you're tired at 10 miles, you're screwed. Um, you know, if you're tired at 20 miles, you're human, you know, whatever. But uh, um, when you get uh, that early in the race, uh, well, I mean, obviously, you've still been out there for a while at that point, but uh, there's still a long way to go, so. Yeah. Um, all right. But yeah, I mean, like any other age group race that I watch or track, um, I mean, there are guys that are falling apart all over the place. So, I mean, I was catching people. Yeah. I mean, I think the third through, I don't seventh place in my age group, there must have been so many changes because, I mean, I caught some guy at the very end who was just like standing still with like 
a half mile to go. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I caught that guy. And I was actually kind of, uh, I don't know, I was surprised. I saw my uncle at mile 24, and he's like, you're in fourth place. You, uh, you're you only a minute 50 down on third place. So, I mean, oh, wow. I, I kind of, like, kicked it under another gear, and I was... I saw that guy ahead, so I did make the catch. And then right after that, some guy in my in in our age group just came flying past me. So another so another random guy from behind caught me. But I mean, at that point, I was running so slow that yeah, I can't really do anything about it. But yeah, it's okay. just like I said, it's it's amazing how fast these guys are. And if you falter at all or fall apart, you are your race is. I mean pretty much over yeah. as far as getting a Kona slot. Sure. So let me ask you this, you know, after seeing what happened, and I think obviously the bike was uh, where you, you know, botched the nutrition a little bit, but um, do you still feel like it was the right move to go out a little bit uh, aggressively on the run? Um, I felt it was because, well, looking back, I think I should have, kind of caught up on my nutrition a little bit like really focused on just drinking and eating a little bit more at early on in, in the run mm-hmm. but I mean I I went into, the, into that race telling myself I'm going to get a Kona slot or it's Kona or bust yep. yeah it's not a successful race so I mean I don't I'm not I'm not mad at myself about just going for it yeah. because I, I, I need to do that okay and, and um, yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on negative splitting an Ironman marathon run? I mean, is that even possible? I mean, are the pro, I, I really, I just don't feel the pros are even doing that. Uh, yes, definitely possible. I've done it a couple times actually. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts there. I mean, so yes, you know, you're down and you know, you, you want to make up time, but you did, you know, again, and obviously your your bike may had a was a big contributor to that to the struggle. But if you're getting to the halfway point and then you're slowing down significantly because you didn't, you know, you you went too hard there, you know, I'm curious what you would have done if you held back and tried to keep it consistent, um, or ideally, you know, negative splitted the uh, marathon. You know, how much? Hopefully, I would think faster you would have ran overall. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That, 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 that is a good point. I mean, it's, I cannot feel like that halfway through. And I mean, I think both the Ironman races I've done, I've, I've actually, I have started off too fast. And one thing I have to remind myself or that I'll tell everyone is it's, it's such a long race that there's so many things that can happen in the marathon and people do fall apart. And when you fall apart, you can make up all that ground you're I mean if you run 10 seconds slower when you fall apart it's <laughs> that time turns into one or two minutes or three minutes Absolutely. when you start walking so oh at least at least yeah. when you stop walking yeah right <clears throat> I mean so you know kind of going back uh <laughs> don't want to boast myself here but you know like in Texas you know I was in 11th coming off the bike I didn't know that but uh I really Still, I wouldn't have changed anything, you know, even if I knew I was in 11th, I don't think. I mean, maybe I would have went a touch more aggressively, but, uh, 
you know, and I ran into second, right? You know, and and that was because I think that I was able to stay disciplined and tone it back at the beginning and focus on doing what I need to do to, you know, get to the finish line as fast as I can. And, you know, I think that uh, ultimately uh, it just seems like the best strategy for people um, that really... is racing your own race. Exactly. You know, and yeah. you got to really keep it conservative for the um, first portion of the race and make sure you're staying in check. And, you know, even even if you're, you know, feeling like crap and or even you're feeling great, you know, holding back either way, um, because it is such a, a long race. And even the, when I did hold back and went conservatively, you know, I was very much hurting and, uh, almost felt like I was going too hard, uh, on the second lap because I did slow down a little bit on the third lap, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I just don't think you can really go easy enough. And for people that aren't experienced at Ironman, you know, being able to, Go, go slow and very comfortably to start the race is just absolutely pivotal. Okay. Uh, you know, so. No, and that, that is such a good tip. And I'm, my next Ironman, I'm, I'm definitely following that because, and I'm going to, I'm going to, because my uncle will be there again. I'm going to tell him, don't give me any splits until at least halfway through the race because I don't want to even know. Well, that's, I know, it's another interesting thing. I guess I've never had anybody giving me splits, you know, or whatnot. And um, I know it's, I mean, it's so awesome that your uncle does that for you, and he's a great guy. And uh, it's cool, and I love that he's that involved and everything. But I'm wondering mentally if sometime that may be doing, you know, potentially more damage than good, you know, if you're, yeah. um, I mean, neither of us are, are coming off the bike in, in first, right? So yeah. we know we've got to catch people, um, you know, and uh, if we're, saying oh crap you know i've got tons of work to do um and then yeah you know, like, i mean it doesn't feel good when you're yourself. like oh you i have 20 i you have to make up 20, 20 minutes. minutes yeah i mean it's not a good feeling exactly so yeah i might just tell him just be there spectate give me maybe one tell me where i'm at with like mile 18 well even even if he wants to record it and you know it's it'd be interesting to look at afterwards you know and yeah. uh um so i'm not saying uh, i don't think you should do it but uh um you know we just got to be careful with that stuff and uh yeah because mentally it does get in your head when you are not when you have so much ground to make up yeah i agree i agree with that yeah but uh you know that's why we stay in this sport and we uh it gives us that uh (laughs) that that demand or will or want to uh to do it again right you know so and uh you know, as long as we learn from our mistakes, you know, then, uh, you know, it's, it's all we can do is move forward. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously very disappointed for you. And I certainly wanted you to pick up a slot there. But, um, you know, you got to. I'll get life, one for you, happens. buddy. Life Don't happens. Don't worry. You know, exactly. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, others can listen and uh, give some, you know, give us some thought to their race strategies and help the, hopefully it'll help them, you know, improve and, and do things the right way for them. So. Uh, yeah, but I mean, overall, I mean, I, despite falling apart, I mean, I, I'm proud that I didn't give up. I mean, it's, yeah. you get to some really low points when you, well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, what, so what was your overall time? Uh, 9.52. All right. 9.52. So, so I, I was know, six, I think I was 15th amateur. All right. And yeah, six in my age group. But yeah, I mean the those the last half marathon. I mean yeah. they were pretty dark, and I mean just chugging. I just remember chugging Coke, chugging Gatorade, 
just trying to get energy back and um it was just Tough finding yeah kind of survival yeah it's kind of funny seeing my seeing my heart rate information at the end of the, or after the race it kind of like dips down like mile 16 through 18 and then yeah. i did come back at the very end so yeah. um I'm not surprised yeah. by that but you know but again you know uh so obviously you're you're a bit disappointed uh and you fell apart a little bit, but you still went sub ten. Um, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> Despite falling apart. Yeah, so exactly, yeah, I mean, yeah. I I'm not pissed about myself. I mean, my as far as my effort goes, I'm I'm pretty proud of myself for just hanging tough. And yeah. I mean, shuffling is a lot better than walking. Yep, for sure. And I kept telling myself that just Keep move as fast as you can because you don't know walking. what's going on in front of you. Too, yeah, you and know? walking will just take just prolong the misery so <laughs> might as well yeah. get it done as fast as i can That's a good point too but as far as pacing goes i mean i definitely learned a few lessons and i think my next race will be done a lot smarter as far as pacing and nutrition good man cool well still proud of you buddy and uh, thank you yeah um you know, I think uh, definitely for people, you know, considering Ironman Canada, like we mentioned in the beginning, it's just a beautiful venue. Uh, hopefully that race sticks around for a while. Uh, we'll see. And these tougher, challenging courses seem to be diminishing here, but uh, it is it is an amazing venue, and especially if you have your family um, that is interested in doing something um, like that, that's I really recommend uh, considering that race. Um, you know, a good, yeah, good time it. of year. I mean, when... Yeah. Kristen loved that place, right? When oh, yeah. she went? Yeah. 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 So we had a good time. Um, so awesome, man. Well, congrats again. And uh, we look forward to hearing. Uh, I'm going to be trying to push Elliot to do uh, another Ironman so he can try and qualify so that uh, <laughs> we can head to Hawaii together. But uh, we'll see what happens. I'm sure uh, he'll make the right decision and he'll uh, he'll figure <laughs> it out. So um but with that uh we're gonna go ahead and get leslie on with us and we will uh take it from there all right so we have nutritionist dietitian leslie y on with us so leslie is somebody that uh yeah i have known for quite a few years now actually i remember uh I think I first met you on the Nashua track, Leslie, um, but uh, the Gate City Striders, that was fun, the track workouts, but uh, it's been yeah. a long time now, and um, so Leslie uh, is a uh, nutrition coach, and um, she works and helps out a lot of the peak triathlon coaching clients, and uh, has been a huge help to me. And uh, we'll certainly talk about some of those things as we go on. Uh, Leslie's actually, I mean, excuse me, Elliot has also worked with her a little bit as well and uh, I think made some tweaks and stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, the bottom line to me is that, uh, you know, yes, it's important what we're doing. We're fueling our body during races and, you know, we need to make that a priority, but we really need to prioritize eating and just general healthy lifestyle if we want to perform at our best. And, uh, Leslie is somebody that's tremendous at helping people do that. So um, that's my intro of Leslie, but why don't you give us a little more background on yourself here? Sure. Great. And thank you, Colin. Yeah, that was several years ago we met on the track, and um, you have not yet tackled full Ironman distances yet, so I can't believe how far you've come. Yeah, <laughs> From the time we were actually running together on the track, uh, <laughs> 
to where you are now. So um, <clears throat> I have not kept pace with you, however. <laughs> so um, on that front, but uh, congratulations to you on all that you've accomplished. So and it's been awesome to be uh, a part of that from the nutrition perspective, and it's evolved over. I don't even know the eight years or six years that we've been in touch and working together. Um, and then the last three or four specifically with peak. So, um, yeah, that is, that is accurate. Um, I also, um, would just add that I too have, uh, tackled the Ironman distance, the marathon distance, um, and have found that the cleaner, my day to day diet has been, uh, the less inflammation in my body, the faster my recovery all of those things um, that we can talk a little bit about today about why not just macronutrients are important, but also why, um, and calories are important, but the, um, the nutrient density, so the vitamins and minerals and how they help our body recover um, has come to the surface of being really, really critical path so that you can perform your best on race day and that your stomach can handle all those very simple sugars and something simple fueling products. So, um, but yeah, it's been exciting to watch you, and it's been exciting to watch the um, industry really respond to uh, the drive towards better overall health and offering up healthier and cleaner uh, fueling products, which I think has been phenomenal. There's there's more and more options out there every day, so yeah. we don't have to be stuck with some of the bottom of the barrel stuff that we have, you know, in the past. So. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I think we could probably spend an entire conversation just talking about all the different products in the market, and that's a good point about how they have uh, been evolving and whatnot. Um, but that being said, there's still, and with, with more companies out there, there's also a boatload of crap out there, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, that, well, uh, there is a boatload of crap, and it's hard to, um, to pull it apart sometimes, but as we go through our podcast, you know, some triggers or some things to look for, um, you know, uh, you know, we can give some of those tips and some of that advice. And, you know, nutrition is very individual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some people can handle some things and, and prefer to raise the certain products and what's on the course. And then other people, they just can't handle that certain product or that, that certain composition. Um, but all of us should be striving towards um, day-to-day and even with our fueling products you know, GMO-free or non-GMO, non-genetically modified ingredients, um, you know, organic if it's possible, uh, close to food if it's possible for training, and sometimes racing, that's, that's an option for some people, and sometimes it's not. So, um, but there are a lot, of, a lot of really great products out there more and more, so it's been pretty interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and to add on to your points, I mean, People always ask me, how, how did Colin get so fast? How did I get so fast? And, I mean, it's not it's not all training. I mean, I think nutrition is such so overlooked. And, I mean, I see some people's diets, and, I mean, I could tell them why they're not recovering from workouts or why they're not feeling so well the next day after a hard training session. And so much of it has to do with what you eat. And, um, I, I, I mean, I... I really feel like I made the biggest gains by just looking at what I ate and really monitoring that I put healthy foods into my body. So, and Leslie, yeah. you were a big help with that. Yeah. Thank you. It's been awesome to watch you guys. It has. I think it's like, I think the, 
one of the things that people, especially when we get into the bigger, the longer distances um, and the, the bigger chunks of training hours, so when you get past that 10-hour mark of training and you head up towards that 20-hour mark, you know, fueling your workouts properly is so critical because if you don't fuel them properly before, during, after, and then immediately after with a recovery drink, then the boomerang effect, it will absolutely wipe out the rest of your day, not just energy-wise, but nutritionally, because then you're just simply craving the most, you know, the, the highest glycemic, like, salt and the carbohydrates and the things that are going to, from a macronutrient standpoint, so to review that, that's carbohydrates, protein, and fat. You're just looking at that because your blinders are on and all you want to do is stuff your face to to fill that void of calories to get that glycogen store back up. But if we fuel our workouts properly, then, and we pack in some carbohydrates right after our workout with some protein, then it allows us for the rest of the day, it frees up the rest of the day for us to refocus on the nutrient density and the hydration that has to happen. Because the nutrient density is really what, um, you know, carries us forward with our recovery, with our energy cycle, with our metabolism, with our overall organ health and, and um, you know, our blood health. A lot of these athletes I see are anemic um, because there is no focus on the micronutrients and the nutrient density. Um, the cofactor, uh, the vitamin or min- vitamins and minerals are cofactors, and they are the Allen keys or the keys, uh, you know, that lock into um, every chemical reaction in our body. So if you're not getting the nutrient density you need from, you know, your very darkly colored vegetables and fruits and all your whole foods and your animal proteins and your beans and legumes, and you're not supplementing in addition with a whole food kind of supplement, you're not getting the cofactors you need for the the chemical reactions to work in your body. And therefore you will not be able to execute at your highest, um, the highest level possible. So I really like to see people have a fueling plan, even for their shorter workouts. And that fueling includes before, during, and after, and then they can get back to their leafy green salads and their healthy, clean animal protein and their fruits and their vegetables and their nuts and seeds because you're blinded after a workout. If you don't have not fueled properly, you're absolutely blinded um, by your sheer hunger to uh, to be able to reach for a salad or reach for broccoli. It's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and I think obviously we're we're talking, and primarily our listeners are are triathletes and multi-sport athletes. But you know, this is important for your everyday life, your job, your ability to. <laughs> live with your your family and be in a good mood and things like that because uh you know really we're fueling our bodies you know for for everything obviously so if we're you know really sabotaging ourselves if we're if we're not doing this properly and uh you know i think that uh it just can it's just absolutely gigantic and if you're not willing to to take your nutrition seriously you know i I don't know how you can really expect yourself to truly be able to achieve you know your triathlon and all your really your other goals and things like that so um 
that's certainly yeah. uh, something that I've realized over the years and, and have certainly made a priority, especially since working with you, Leslie. But um, I think that that's just so important and, and often overlooked by many people. It is. It is. And, you know, we talk a lot about electrolytes and, and um, the nutrients that we need during training. But if we're fueling our bodies, if we're feeding our bodies, um, those quote-unquote electrolytes with every all the foods we're putting in our bodies, then the likelihood of cramping um, from a electrolyte imbalance or a mineral deficiency has gone down significantly. So all these like all the fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes all have uh, magnesium, uh, sodium, uh, all the electrolytes that you find in a product that you buy off the shelf. Um, or an electrolyte product, they, you have them. You have them in pink Himalayan sea salt. So I always advise people, people that tell me, oh, I, I really have this, this crunchy craving every afternoon. I, I need chips. I need something crunchy. And I say, well, let's start with taking a fistful or a palmful of, of pink Himalayan sea salt. Give that a few licks um, or sprinkle it on cucumbers and see if that doesn't satisfy what your body needs. And nine times out of ten, it's a... It's an electrolyte or a mineral deficiency and a sodium deficiency that they're going after because they haven't been able to replenish that. So just the simple ways of adding whole foods and um, spices and things like pink Himalayan sea salt into your diet on a daily basis is going to help you on race day or on training day um, immensely. And the other piece that people don't necessarily realize is that the inflammation is not necessarily just in your muscles and your... Um, your, your soft tissue um, that you think of that correlates to triathlon, uh, but it's your the inflammation of your gut. So a great example is this past week I was away in Wolfboro with my extended family, and we had ice cream every night, ice cream cones. <laughs> We'd go into town by boat, and we had big dinners and lasagna and all this cheese and, and dairy and gluten and grains, things that I don't normally eat because they don't, make me feel great, I was having all of it. And my whole digestive tract come Sunday was just kind of shutting down. And I went back to my clean eating and, um, you know, I was ready to like go to the hospital and get a scope, like, holy smokes, what's (laughs) happening? But cleaning it back up just put me back into a much less inflamed digestive tract. So we have to think of inflammation as being systemic and throughout our bodies and in our brains and all of these things because the intake of, you know, a lot of carbohydrates, a lot of simple sugars during training, it fuels our muscles, but it adds to the inflammation. So we have an obligation to, like you said, Colin, our families, our spouses, our training partners to, to combat the inflammation when we can when we're not training, and then use the products we need to use while we are training um, and racing. But the time we're not, you know, I say 80-20 rule, you're 20% as an athlete, you're 20% of entertainment or lower quality food and sugars and fats and things like that. They, that, those are your training products for you, you know, if, again, you're serious about your performance. So I have seen people that didn't digest well on race day digest their digestion turned around tremendously it wasn't the product they were using on race day necessarily it was their overall digestion day to day which was correlated to 
inflammation and their overall nutrition day to day and lack of nutrients, density and fiber and things like that. Absolutely. Makes sense there. Um, and I know you certainly also stress, you know, sleep and things like that. And I think, I guess we'd probably want to make this focused on, you know, nutrition and, and those kind of things. But, um, you know, do you want to talk quickly about, you know, maybe cortisol levels or just the, you know, how important, you know, sleep and, and other factors are as well that kind of go into this? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I always come at it with, um, you know, four or five pillars, one being um, your nutrition, your day-to-day nutrition, uh, two being sleep, um, three being exercise, <laughs> but that's fairly generic and, and not so applicable here. What we have to do here is rein people in more than, you know, make sure they're getting enough exercise. It's making sure that they are following what you guys offer up as a plan that gives them the rest and the recovery and gives them the ability to listen to their bodies. Um, and the fourth piece is um, some kind of um, emotional and stress management technique, whether those are breathing techniques or yoga nidra or meditation or you know, just some of the simplest things you can do, visualization, uh, just like five minutes a day can have a, a major impact, 10 minutes a day. But I think sleep is one of the most critical that gets overlooked um, very often with athletes because they want to make sure they can get up early and get their workouts in. And if they have a double, they need to get up early, and then they also need to do their second workout in the evening or the afternoon. So um, the first thing that tends to go is sleep. But we can see, as you mentioned, cortisol levels, any stressor, your body can't distinguish between uh, emotional stress, physical stress, uh, nutritional stress, uh, job stress, I guess that would be emotional. Um, it can't decipher, oh, that, that goes in that bucket of stress and this goes in this bucket. You have one stress bucket, and it's a cumulative effect, and it's a, an impact on your hormonal balance. And when we have cortisol levels that rise and rise and rise from um, our training, from our emotional stress, from lack of sleep, then over time that cortisol will no longer be able to rise when it needs to meet the need of the training or um, the, the work, the day-to-day job, or running away from a bear. <laughs> um, but you need to support your adrenal glands, which produce cortisol, and cortisol is what makes our heart beat. It's, it's the hormone in our body that allows us to get out of bed in the morning. So if you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning, then it may be wise, um, talk to your coach, to choose to sleep versus to get up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. If you're getting up and your heart, you're hearing the alarm and your heart's racing and you're popping out of bed and you're racing off to you're throwing your caffeine, your coffee down to get to your workout, you're setting yourself up for a, a long term for a plummet. And that cortisol, once it doesn't rise anymore, that's when we get overtraining syndrome or we get adrenal fatigue. And, um, and we see it a lot with women because um, it seems to dysregulate quicker in women because they have a more complex hormonal system to manage. Um, so sleep is, and I think Colin and I have had this conversation, um, you know, iteratively over the years more than anything else is because 
with with young children, with jobs, with with very high level goals to um, perform, it's hard. It's easy to lose sight of sleep, and it's hard to force yourself to be in bed at eight thirty every night to get up at four thirty. But eight hours of sleep um, is a critical factor, and as your training climbs, that sleep window should extend as well. Exactly. So yeah, it's a good point. Big big deal. Sleep is right up there with. With nutrition, it's on par, and hydration as well. Dehydrated athletes are very, very unhappy and sad. <laughs> yeah, I learned my lesson on that last weekend. <laughs> yes, it, you know, could you pop, 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 like if you lose a bottle off the back, I mean, I've had that. You know, it's it's tough to keep that um, to keep that balance going, especially during a run, where I for one. Not a big fan of drinking while running, so um, it's it's hard to stay hydrated out there. But um, but yeah, sleep, Colin, and is is right up there, and it's one of the pillars of your overall health, and absolutely a pillar of your performance. Hey, Leslie, I have a question regarding. I guess it's probably it's nutrition and sleep. So if you had a evening workout and. I mean, I oftentimes I have to get my workout in in the evening and. I mean, when I work out, you're so hopped up at the end that it's it's yeah. really hard to get to sleep. So, I mean, what yeah. what recommendations would you give to, I, I, I guess, eat or would you just avoid, like, high-intensity efforts? I guess maybe that's a, call, a question for you as well, Colin. Sure. Yeah, I mean, from a, um, from a sleep perspective, once we pass that 10 or 11 o'clock window, we start to have a rise again. Like our body kind of resurges and is ready to be awake again. So some of the things I would recommend coming off, if you do have a workout and Colin can, I, I, any high-intensity workout is going to be really hard. I play pickup lacrosse, and we don't even start until, some nights we don't even start till 9, and I, I'm hard-pressed to sleep before midnight because just the adrenaline and the, you know, the, the chemistry going on. So um, I'm not sure if there's actually a way to, to taper off, but what I would say is, you know, keeping the lights in the house as dim as possible. If the workout can be one that's done outside as opposed to under fluorescent lights, um, you're, you might be better off. Um, so melatonin is a hormone in our body that builds over throughout the day, and um, it's, it is broken down by bright lights and blue screens. So I would say any screen should have like an orange backlight. There are apps you can download um, to give your phone a, a, a backlight that's much dimmer and it doesn't disrupt melatonin. Um, other ways to keep the melatonin intact would be, or to refurbish some of it or replenish would be a tart cherry juice concentrate um, mixed with a little powdered magnesium. That can help your body recover relax and restore some melatonin, help you fall asleep. Um, I do think when you come back from that workout, you need to have some carbohydrates and protein that are as simple to digest as possible, but you do need to replenish. And hopefully you're not coming home and having to eat a big meal um, because that is definitely tough on your digestive system and can prevent you from falling asleep. So like a smoothie that has collagen, like Great Lakes collagen or amino acids in it and some easily digestible uh, like coconut milk and um, 
some fruit and stuff like that. So that can help the calories and nutrient density to replenish what's been lost. Um, maybe some salt, some pink Himalayan sea salt in there. But um, that you don't want to be kept up because you're hungry and you don't want to wake up in the middle of the night because your blood sugar is low. So you definitely want to eat. You want to keep your lights low. You want to keep your screens dimmed. And you want to see if you can add in some natural sources of melatonin like the tart cherry chunk concentrate um, and then maybe like the powdered magnesium too can help you drift off and it's great for muscle recovery as well yeah that's great info i mean yeah and so it's certainly a challenge and uh i mean i'm definitely a person that that tries to get all my workouts in in the morning and whatnot and uh try and get my clients to do that as much as possible but in reality you know some people can't do that or they need to do things at night and I think that it's just being smart and certainly trying to get it in as early as you can would certainly be my recommendation there. Um, yeah. But, you know, also I think too, um, and Leslie kind of fixed me if I'm wrong here, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, I, I think also if we can be consistent with what we're doing on a, you know, day-to-day yeah. basis and whatnot, that helps. So if you have somebody that's regularly training at night, you know, and hopefully in those lower uh ends of the earlier points in the evening and things like that that'll help but um being consistent and you know if you're uh blasting out you know a tough workout uh, right before bed i mean you're certainly going to struggle with that but then waking up the next morning early and trying to do something there i mean that's just really causing havoc on your body and um you know to try and avoid those things and, and being consistent with when you're doing things i think can at least be beneficial and so if you are going to be somebody that's working out at night you know trying to as much as possible get that consistency going yeah i would agree um absolutely and i think that if you are like you said if you're doing that workout at night hopefully you're not sandwiching it like you're not sandwiching your sleep for like four hours or six hours between another early workout in the morning so you know you can start your eight hours at 11 and get them um, you know, till seven in the morning. So that's great too. I mean, that's definitely, that's, that's an option, you know, so, um, to make it all work. But I, I, in an ideal world, I'd love to see athletes wake on their own because of a very well-established routine and not have to wake to an alarm. I think alarms are, unless they're very gentle and they bring you out of your sleep in a very gentle way, you know, if you can crack your window shades and make the daylight be the way you wake up again, like that's going to have a much um, softer impact on your cortisol levels and your whole system than waking to an alarm. Like just the word alarm is just <laughs> wrong. So, um, you know, that's, that's a great, a great way to do it. So, um, Ellie, did that answer your question or give you some good ideas? Oh, Ellie, we lose you? Ellie. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, check on him. Colin, I know you already do that, so. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's a, it's a always... great question, though, and definitely something that uh, that people have, you know, is is something, you know, everybody's situation is different and uh, um, can be yeah. a struggle for people for sure. So, um, you know, that's a, it's, it's a great, great question. Um so Leslie, I'm gonna go. Let's let's hit some kind of general nutrition things, and kind of interested on in your thoughts. Like, um, let's let's start with like, is there? I'm curious. I don't know if I've asked you this in a while. Like, what um, 
what what foods do you find more important to get organic over others? Like, do you find that like oranges and things with um, much thicker skins and things like that aren't as important to get organic, or do you feel like everything should be organic if possible? No, I mean I think um, yeah, in an ideal world, if there was a you know unlimited budget, but yeah. um, few of us few of us operate in that. Uh, budget-free zone. So um, there's a great list on, I think it might be on the uh, Environmental Working Group site, EWG, but typically it's the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. So foods, um, typically fruits and vegetables um, that have a skin that you're going to eat, um, you want them to be organic. So certainly all the berries, I think strawberries carry the highest pesticide load. 82 different pesticides are used to keep strawberries uh, pest-free and and red and juicy looking. Um, So I think that, uh, you know, all berries, um, uh, apples, anything that acts like a sponge, peaches, things like that, um, um, lettuce, any of the spinach, all those leafy greens, um, as much as possible, you would want them to be um, organic. The other option is there are a couple brands out there that are hothouse grown, so they are sometimes they're pesticide free, and they'll say that. Um, Sunset used to be that way for peppers and tomatoes, so that can be a lower cost um, option. Certainly, having your own garden or joining a CSA is an option too. Um, but there's also uh, there's another reason in the dirty dozen, and I don't even know if, if these fall in the dirty dozen, that you want to have be organic are potatoes, corn, um, rice, wheat, because those, and soy, because those are the top genetically modified crops. Mm. And we just don't have enough information to know if GMO, well, we, we do have some information that, that shows that GMO crops um, and foods can disrupt our our gut biome. So the bacterial balance in our gut is very, very important to not only our digestion, but our overall immune health and our ability to fight off heart disease, cancer, et cetera. So um, that's something that we want to keep our eye on as well. So um, the things that I don't buy organic because of just price point um, and consumption are avocados, bananas, um, what else? Uh, cucumbers, I'll buy hothouse cucumbers from, um, from the, uh, from Sunset. So typically the things you eat the skin of, whether it's a juice or a fruit or a vegetable or one of those grains, then I do organic. Otherwise, um, you know, you can get away with being a little bit more conservative with your with your buying. I find Market Basket, for those that are in this area, has the best offering of organic foods and at a great price point, too. So oh, um, really been pleased with them. Yeah. And Trader Joe's and Costco as well. Yeah. Yeah. We go to Costco almost weekly at my house, so. Um, <laughs> you just have good. to avoid the aisles that have ancillary things, like you know. Although Kevin bought a pillow the other day, one of those like <laughs> latex pillows, and yeah. so if anything else, if it improves your sleep, then you can go That's down right. that aisle. That's but, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. you got to stay on the straight and narrow. Huh. Yep. Yeah. 
Good. Yep. Um, one other but thing. I know, I, like Costco has, you know, they've got like the mini um, hummus and the mini avocado, oh, yeah. like the guacamole. Like all of those are great. Like the mini carrots, like grab a handful of those too. And, you know, that's a great crunchy, salty, fatty kind of uh, hits on a lot of those macronutrient cravings while giving you a ton of micronutrients and nutrient density. Yeah, definitely some go-to snacks for me. Um, yeah. Let's. Can we talk about supplements a little bit? Um, I certainly, actually, I used to take. I think I really just took a multivitamin before I started working with you. I definitely take some more, and um, you know, maybe we explore a little bit the value of getting your blood tested and stuff like that to to look at those kind of things. But um, you know, I take quite a few different supplements now. Um, and it's maybe you could just talk a little bit about the importance in that for most people and that uh, there's oftentimes, even if we eat perfectly, we can't get some of the things we need. Yeah, yep. Um, and I think one of the best places to start with identifying what you may or may not need, um, like you said, is just sometimes a simple blood work or a full, pan- full metabolic panel. Um, but it can identify things like the, like we were talking about before, um, being iron deficient um, or having low ferritin, low iron stores. And if we identify, I'm a big fan of um, identifying what you need and then applying the right supplement, if, whenever possible. So, I mean, it's sometimes, unless you have a stool test, it can be difficult to know what your bacterial balance is in your gut. But um, but again, a stool test is not all that expensive, so it could very well be worth doing. Um, but some of the big fan of supplementation, especially when we know exactly why we're supplementing something, you know, what the purpose is. So iron is a, is a great one. Um, ferritin stores being low, which we see a lot in females, but we also see it in males, too, that have, you know, you break down red blood cells every time we have a foot strike and with your sweat you lose iron and bumping that iron up could be just the energy boost somebody needs um so the other testing you can do now is genetic testing and you can see what your body's ability is for to absorb vitamin d for example so if that receptor is blocked in your body then you're going to have very low vitamin d levels even if you spend a lot of time outside so Understanding your need for vitamin D and the supplementation of it year-round is critical to good health and to good performance. So um, the iron, the vitamin D, the probiotics, um, knowing and understanding, um, you know, with you, we, you had some hiccups, so to speak, some burps, like some <laughs> digestive stuff, and I think a lot of that got tackled with digestive enzyme and probiotics, so helping your body um, break down those foods and get them passed along and broken down with the right bacteria in your gut again so you feel good so you can take in the, the training foods you need and um, so that your overall health is good too and your immune system stays strong. Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of you know, of probiotics, digestive um, enzymes when needed, um, Vitamin D supplementation, um, magnesium, electrolytes, again, depending on the person and de- depending on what they're presenting to me and depending on what testing they had done, we can pretty quickly go through the list and go, oh, yeah, we need some zinc, we need some of this. So um, 
So, um, and again, just like the supplementation that's out there for training, the training uh, fluids and fuels, supplementation has come a really, has really come a long distance um, as well for whole food supplements and um, and ways to support your adrenal system and your hormones and things like that, keep your cortisol levels lower. Um, so supplementation is, is required as well because you couldn't possibly eat enough um, foods that contain vitamin D to get your required amount of vitamin D to overcome the gap. And that's what people don't understand is they figure, well, I'm eating, I'm eating well, quote-unquote, but our foods don't have the same, they're not grown in the same nutrient-dense soil that they were 100 years ago. Um, crops aren't being rotated. You know, our food is not as nutritious. So kale today versus kale 100 years ago, not grown in the same soil, not, doesn't have the same nutrient density. So, um, and you have to eat a whole lot of kale <laughs> to get to where you need to be. And your body, from a fiber perspective, can't handle that load. So it's much more simplistic and it's much more targeted to take supplements uh, with identified to, to target the identified deficiency or gap than it is to try to eat your way to um, ideal health. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Leslie, I have a question for you. So when I first started, or before I started working with you, I mean, buying supplements, you go into the store and there's just so many different kinds of brands and just, <laughs> right. I mean, vitamin D or probiotics. I mean, there's so many different kinds. If you go to Costco, there's like 10 different yeah. brands of probiotics. I mean, how would you go about, I mean, because each brand says, oh, their brand is the best. Uh, the, right. I mean, their marketing is good and you think, oh, okay, this is going to work for me. But I mean, how would you right. go about picking the right supplements? And is there, is there a quality difference between each of them? So there definitely is a quality difference. Um, on the very most basic level, you want your supplementation to come from, um, you don't want it to come from synthetic sources. Like so a multivitamin, for example, you wouldn't want that to come from synthetic Bs and synthetic A and stuff like that. You want that to come from a whole food source. Um, so that, like, right from that, that right off the bat, eliminates pretty much almost everything that's sold in a grocery store, A unless, again, the grocery store is like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. You have some option there, maybe. But, you know, Thrift Drug, Rite Aid, CVS, Walgreens, not the place, Costco, probably not the place to get your um, – Costco may be the exception. I haven't seen what they – I haven't looked there. Um, but typically you want the – the least amount of fillers and excipients. So those are things that they add into the, um, the supplement to make it stick together, to make it look a certain color, or to encapsulate it. So you want, just like when you eat, you're trying to choose your food, your supplementation is the same way. So if it has, like, non-active ingredient list of, like, 10 things, you probably don't want it. Like, I looked at something that my dad had or somebody had the other day, and it was, like, blue dye, yellow dye. It was, this is, like, I think it was cereal. <laughs> but the same thing applies to, it was, like, life cereal. I was, like, but, but and it has all these synthetic vitamins out of it. But the same thing applies for, for vitamins or right. any kind of supplement. You don't want, it doesn't have to be purple or pink or blue or green, like, Generally speaking, that's not a good thing. 
generally speaking, gummy things are a bad idea because they stay in your teeth and and they will, you know, cause tooth decay. So um, find things that are in their simplest form, um, whole food-based vitamins and minerals. Um, this is a really good one to note down. If you if you do supplement with D, you want to have it be D with K1 and K2 because now they're finding that D is best absorbed in the presence of K1 and K2. And um, I believe K1 and K2 are in leafy greens, but, um, again, eating enough of them at the right time with the D and the absorption um, can be something to look after, you know. Um, but uh, it's, I buy a lot of my supplements through Emerson or Standard Process or Designs for Health. Or um, and you can and a lot of those brands are on or available through Amazon. Yep. Amazon Prime, right, Colin? Oh yeah. <laughs> Amazon Prime is our friend. <laughs> yeah. A little too good of our friend on times like that. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> too friendly. Yeah. It's too easy. The one-click shopping. Oh yeah. Bad, bad idea. <laughs> Turn that off. Good. Make it more painful. Cool. Um, but yeah, there's some key supplementation that can really go. A long way yeah awesome um i think we'll go with one more kind of question or topic i'd like to kind of go over we, we hit it briefly uh at the beginning but um for those people doing long course stuff so like right now iron man or the wtc is you know endorsing or basically getting paid the most by gatorade you know so that's the typically what you're seeing out there on the course um and yeah. you know certainly not something that works well for my system and you know it's obviously a huge company and one of the largest in the world from a sport drink perspective and also i i certainly think one of the lowest quality ones out there um and so you know what i think people really need to start thinking about you know what options they have out there and you know again certainly agree that holistically you know what we're eating and outside of race day is extremely important but if you know, if we're looking for something to the way to improve during our races and things, um, there's definitely ways to be able to, to do that by using, you know, bringing your own products on the course. And um, while it's certainly convenient to, to use what's on the course, I think that we really need to think that through and make sure that that's the best strategy for people. Um, because I'm certainly starting to believe that for the majority of people, it's not. And, you know, even as I had mentioned back in a few podcasts ago for Ironman Texas, you know, again, I'm a big fan of glucose these days, that product and, uh, and using scratch. Um, and so that's bringing, you know, all my own products onto the course, which adds some complications, but definitely figured out a way to do it and do it efficiently and not have to even stop at special needs or anything like that. Um, but Maybe I'm making the whole point. I don't know if you want to expand on that at all, Leslie, but uh, I think that that's sure. uh, hopefully something people will take away and consider um, taking away from this here. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, you're not going to get an argument from me on the Gatorade front or the Power Bar front, um, which are awesome, longstanding names that we associate, you know, victory and dumping of orange coolers on football <laughs> coaches' heads and things like that, which are all, you know, fabulous to, to lift our spirits. But um, the fact of the matter is that those companies um, are still adding in, uh, you know, ingredients 
like, you know, I'm looking at uh, the Gatorade ingredients right now, yellow number five, um, artificial flavors and colors. Those things don't need to be in there, and they're detrimental not just to our gut biome and our bacteria, but they may indeed actually be triggers for people that have histamine issues, that have um, an inability to clear so their liver function may not be the highest, which most people in this country do not have high-functioning livers anymore because our livers are, are the detoxifier and they're burdened, overly burdened. So um, those things don't need to be in our products that we take in for training and for racing. Um, and there are such good options out there now. And maltodextrin, which is the power bar gels have a lot of, you know, that can be very difficult for people to digest. And, again, they are sourcing the cheapest, the cheapest um, corn, the cheapest potato, the cheapest grain they can find. Mass production, um, right? Yeah. It, yeah, they're going to source the cheapest, lowest level, and it's going to be genetically modified. So you've got to, you have that burden to bear, too. So if we step away from all the crap, we can see now, like coming to the surface, glucose. Fabulous company, fabulous products, very easy to digest. They, they, you don't even digest them. So a dextrose base, um, which is a monosaccharide, a simple sugar, dextrose is the equivalent to glucose. And glucose is the sugar in our body that allows our body to operate. Our brains function on glucose. Our muscles function on glucose. Our body, everything we take in, our body tries to break it down and create its own glucose. Um, that's why low-carb can be a very difficult go for many athletes and many people in general because the brain fog alone is enough to, to you know, put you to bed. So, but when we have products like the company Glucose, uh, G-L-U-K-O-S, their foundation of their products is dextrose or glucose. So when you take it in, the digestion or the absorption of and the raising of your blood sugar back to a level that feels good for your body happens immediately in your mouth. So um, it, it alleviates all the stress on your gut. And um, maltodextrin and um, sucrose are, are more complicated sugars that take more breaking down. And so they, when you have a gel that has maltodextrin, fructose, and all stuff, it's harder for your gut to digest it one of them, let alone 10 of them, across the uh, Ironman course. So um, Tailwind is one of the drinks, and they maybe have food products or bars and gels as well. Tailwind, Scratch, um, there's other ones out there that are all GMO-free. They are dextrose and um, maybe sucrose combination. Um, so they give you that immediate fueling, and then maybe a little bit more long-term fueling. Um, there are glucose gels, there are glucose bars, um, which you've had a lot of success with. I've recently had some women that really like the combination of the glucose gels uh, and half of a bunk breaker bar or part of a cliff bar because they like to break it up. And so having a plan is, is – and, and having a plan that works for you is the single most critical factor – on race day of ensuring your execution. So the fact that you bring all your stuff, Colin, is extremely wise because you are not at the mercy of the person handing out the gel as you fly by on your bike or the drink bottle that you drop. Like you have, you're like a self-contained system and you know what to expect 
and you have practiced it and your body knows what to expect. You throw it a curveball on race day with a gel or a block or a drink that it's not prepared for, and it's under stress already. So it's not gonna it's not gonna respond well. So having a plan and knowing what you're gonna take in when and what you require, um, and then fueling that plan with the highest quality products that you can afford and that you uh, know how your body is going to react to, it is the smartest thing and the most professional thing you can do. If you respect the race and you respect the distance and you actually want to control the outcome as much as possible or eliminate a, uh, you know, a place of failure, uh, we have people that, that fail consistently on their runs because on the run portion of an Ironman course, um, their training was right on target, but their fueling just they bottomed out for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, it, it's a personalized thing. It has to be practiced, and it has to be fueled with the highest quality um, options that are out there. So no GMOs, no maltodextrin, um, you know, choose, choose and try the best. You know, there's honey stingers. That's all fructose for the most part. Um, so some people get into trouble with that because some people don't absorb fructose well. Um, again, I really like these dextrose glucose-based products that are coming out now. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, I'm going to plug some of Leslie's services real quick because uh, I think that uh, they can really be game changers for people. So I know she offers what we call Kickstarters um, or Kickstarts where you know she'll take a look at a couple days of food logs for you and, you know, give you some recommendations for what you should consider changing or can really help you. And I think the bang for your buck there is tremendous. So, um, it's a good opportunity, but she also does, um, weekly nutrition coaching where she chats with you and helps you on a weekly basis. Um, and then certainly has, uh, fueling specific plans where, you know, developing your your race fueling um, strategy and uh or not strategy but your yeah your fueling strategy for uh for the race and whatnot so um those things you know are are very valuable and you know i think that uh as an athlete you know and somebody that's done ironman she gets it and uh has been a huge asset to me and my clients i know and um you know i think that uh if you have any issues there she's definitely worth uh reaching out to and um Please uh, let us know if we can help you at all, out at all. But um, she's a wealth of knowledge, and uh, you know we got to start taking our nutrition very seriously if we want to up our game. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Cool. All right. All right. Well, well, thank thanks, you very much, Leslie. Thanks for having me, Colin and Elliot. It was awesome. We really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. We will. Uh, Get another podcast out to you soon here.